it hooks me up. I'm not good with technology. <laughs> I thank the church for having me here. It is an honor. I told some last time I preached at a Bible conference here, Joe Wilson was here, Don Pennington was here, Milburn Cocker was here, and I could go on and on. Harry Bomber was here. I believe Oscar Mink was here, and I could go on and on. They are now in the presence of God. Our Lord willing, soon we will join them. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Read a very familiar portion of the Word of God. I'll read verses 8 and 9. I preached you on the subject, salvation by grace. I stand here today as nothing more than a sinner was saved by the marvelous, sovereign, amazing grace of God. I did not deserve it, I did not earn it, and I did not even desire it to. And yet God still extended His grace to me in salvation. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if salvation is not totally by grace, then men have a right to boast. If God did his part and I did my part, I have a right to boast. And according to Arminianism, I did the major part because I let God save me. But my friends, God saved me in spite of myself. The sovereign grace of God is a distinguishing doctrine of landmark sovereign grace missionary Baptist. And I recognize there are a multitude of denominations there are a multitude of those who call themselves Baptists uh, and they would say they believe salvation by grace, uh, but they are far from it. They do not understand grace as portrayed in the Word of God. Now the acronym for grace we often hear is God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's not a bad thing, but that's not all there is to the grace of God. And I want us to be reminded that it costs the whole Godhead grace to save sinners such as we are. Indeed, the biblical emphasis is upon the work of the Lamb of God. Let us never forget the grace of God the Father in sending His Son and choosing us unto salvation that we might have everlasting life. I thought about the songs that we sing about grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing because of who gives it. Amazing because of who it is given to. And amazing because of what it does. I thought about the song Grace that is greater than all of my sins. I had a lot of them. I still have a lot of sins. But all my sins were covered by the grace of God and not only is his grace sufficient for me, but for all the elect of God. All of us here who know Christ, his grace was sufficient. And then we sing, just a sinner, saved by grace. There are three things I want to notice. I want to notice salvation by grace is necessary. First of all, because of the condition of the sinner. Secondly, salvation by grace is necessary because of the cure of the sovereign. And thirdly, we want to notice salvation by grace necessitates a commitment to service by those who are saved by God's grace. 
First of all, salvation by grace is necessary because of the condition of the sinner. The key to understanding the doctrine of salvation is to understand the depravity of man. And I recognize that that this world is saturated with humanism and self-esteem and, and building men up. But that's foreign to the Word of God. The Bible tears us down. The Bible tells us the truth about the condition of lost sinners. The pride of men and the wiles of the devil blind our eyes to the condition of lost sinners. Four things we'll notice about sinners. First of all, sinners are dead. The Bible can't get any clearer. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened, made alive. You can't make something alive that's not dead. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 5, Even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. And then he wants to remind them, By grace ye are saved. And may God remind us this afternoon that it is by God's grace we are saved. The only reason we are here is by the marvelous grace of God. I don't understand why the Armenian cannot understand that word dead. It's an easy word. Just go down to the funeral home and there you will see dead. And it is very easy in physical life, but they want to change when it comes to spiritual death. Because man is dead, there's some things man can't do. Man cannot accept Christ. I don't like that term, accept Christ. I hear, oh, did you accept Christ? I did not accept Christ. I received him. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There's something just wrong about that term, accepting Christ, as if there's something wrong with him, and, and you'll be doing him a great favor if you'll just accept him. I think the grace of God helped me receive or enabled me. Dead men can't repent. Dead men can't believe. Dead men can't walk an aisle. Oh, our meaning said, just come up here. Just walk on up here. Dead men can't walk an aisle. Dead men cannot bow his head. Dead men cannot close their eyes. Dead men cannot raise their hand. You know, I've been in some of those, when I was at my mom's church growing up, where every head bowed and every eye closed. And, and if you want to be saved, raise your hand. And then you get home and, and mama says, so-and-so raised their hand. They want, How do you know? You're peeking. But I got news from dead men can't do that. Dead men can't kneel at a so-called mourner's bench. They can't. I tell you on Facebook, all the people come in, the altars were full. And I want to write sometime, well, how many did you sacrifice since an altar is a place of sacrifice? Dead men can't pray through. They can't pray through, over, under, or around. Because God heareth not sinners. Dead men can't open the door to their heart. Just open your heart and let Jesus in is what the Armenian says. Dead men can't open doors. I was a kid growing up. We were up in Boone, Virginia, and we had car trouble. I was a young kid. The only place we could see, we're right by a funeral home. 
And me and little Joe, we were kind of scared, so we got out of the car with Daddy, went up to the funeral home door. He knocks on that door, peeks into the window, and you can see a dead body. You know what? He did not get up and let us in. He made us stay out in that cold. Why, how dare he? You know what? Dead sinners, they cannot open the door to their heart. Dead men cannot invite Jesus inside. Dead men cannot desire to be saved. Dead men can't love Christ. Dead men can't sign their name at the end of a prayer. That was my first profession of faith. I was six or seven years old. We had a bicycle, just learning how to ride a bicycle. And these uh, soul winners, whatever you want to call them, soul destroyers in reality, came by and said, you kids want to be saved? We just want him to leave us alone. We want to ride our bikes. He said, well, we'll say this prayer. And he said, now sign your name. And he said, you guys are saved now. Those people will answer to God someday. For perhaps the thousands they have led astray. I went in and told Daddy I got saved. They said, you got what? And I explained to Daddy what happened. And he went Armenian hunting. He left the house. He wanted to find those men because dead men can't sign a prayer. Dead men can't hold on, let go, anything else. There is no way that dead men can do it. They cannot please God. Old guy told me not long ago, he said, Sam, I'm going to explain salvation to you so you understand it. Salvation, he said, is, is like you're going to come over to my house. And you're going to help me do farm work. Well, that's the first place he was wrong. I knew that his story was messed up as soon as he implied that I was going to do farm work. And he said that before we go to do that farm work, my wife's going to feed you. She's going to put on the table bacon and sausage and gravy and biscuits. And it's going to be up to you whether or not you take that gravy and biscuits. I said, well, brother, the only thing wrong with that story is you need to wait till I'm dead and gone. And then you come down to the funeral home and you set that gravy and biscuits in front of me and see if I take it thin. Dead men do absolutely nothing. Secondly, sinners are not just dead, they're depraved. That word depraved means crooked or bent. You know, we used to try to bend things when we were strong. Now I have trouble bending the straw, you know, get it in there, but bent. And by bent, it means that you are determined to, to take a course of action. And sinners are determined to sin. They are bent on sin. It is the main desire of their life. And we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That is our very nature. And then thirdly, sinners are dark. They love darkness rather than light. I'll tell you, we live in a dark world. The Bible tells us in the days of Noah that their thoughts were evil continually. They still are. You tell me something. What kind of a mind plots to fly jets into a building and destroy or kill thousands? A dark mind. A mind like Sam Wilson has. What kind of a dark mind enters into Sandy Hook School, elementary school, and opens fire, killing children, my grandchildren's age, a dark mind. What kind of a mind goes into a theater 
or a church and just start shooting and killing. And I used to say innocent people. I'm going to tell you something. There's no innocent people in this world. We're all guilty. What kind of mind? Depraved, dark mind. But I want you to know something. It's the same mind that dwells inside of every one of us. And it is only the restraining hand of God that didn't make us one of them. And we need to understand why. That's grace. And then fourthly, sinners are doomed because of their sins. Oh, if you're here and lost, let me explain to you. You're doomed. Apart from the sovereign grace of God, you need to realize that your destiny is not just physical death, but the second death. And you will spend all eternity in the flames of hell experiencing the wrath of the Lion of Judah. Ah, oh, come believe in the Lamb of God. Don't face that Lion of Judah. Don't face the wrath of that God. For there is outer darkness and unquenchable thirst. Recently, I went to visit a man that had been going to our church several years. I hope he was saved. He was dying. And I sat with him, and all he did was drink one bottle of water after another, trying to unquench the thirst as life was leaving his body. And all I could think about... And I asked him, you know, Al, you sure you're saying? Was if he died and went to hell, he'll never have another sip of water. And that thirst will be eternally, the pain and the torments, the gnawing of the teeth, the weeping and wailing, the bottomless pit, the, the horribleness of hell that words cannot describe because we are a sinner. Secondly, let us notice that the salvation by grace not just because of our condition, but because of the cure of the sovereign. And I'm going to tell you something. If salvation is not by grace. God's not sovereign. I tell you, these people who talk about God being omnipotent and God being sovereign, and yet they play their games and gimmicks with the souls of men, they don't understand omnipotence or sovereignty. I am so thankful that by God's grace there is a cure. There is a cure for those dead, depraved, dark, doomed sinners. I am thankful that salvation was not left up to me. Thankful that I did not have to contribute because I had nothing to offer. Nothing to offer. We are saved by grace, first of all, because of the charity of God. Oh, God loved me. That's an amazing thought, that God would love me. Now, some of us older preachers, I used to be one of the young preachers, some of us older preachers, we will remember a brother named A.E. Massey. And A.E. Massey loved to sing, When he reached way down for me. I'm sorry, that was Gene Hensley. A.E. Massey used to sing, Why did he love me so? Why did he? Why would God love such sinners as we are? He loved us when we did not deserve it. He loved us from everlasting until everlasting. Never a time when I was not an object of God's love. When he was up in heaven, before he came to this earth, he loved me. When he was in the womb of a virgin, he loved me. When he came out of the womb of that virgin, he still loved me. When he walked on the face of this earth, he loved Sam Wilson. And when he was on the cross, I was on his mind and in the grave he loved me, and in resurrection he loved me. And right now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus Christ loves me. That's grace. 
Oh, that's amazing grace that he loved me. Secondly, we're not just saved by grace because of the charity of God. We're saved by grace because of the choice of God. Why would people dislike the doctrine of election? Because they don't understand the doctrine of election. How many of us have not heard that doctrine of election that sends people to hell? Doesn't send a single person to hell. Sin sends people to hell. They don't go to hell because they are not elect. They go to hell because they are sinners. And how all we who are saved. And I'll tell you, if God has revealed to you the truth that you were chosen in Christ, you ought to love him more than those who think they chose Christ. Special. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Now I want to ask the question. If Jesus wanted to make it clear that he did the choosing and not man, how could he have said it better than that? <laughs> I mean, I may not be, be a genius in language. I may not be well-schooled in etymology. I may not be the best in the world with words. But I don't know how he could have made it any more clear than saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Love, that's the way it is. He chose me for the foundation of the world, for the children being born, neither having done any good or evil, but the purpose of God according to election might stand. That's salvation. Not of works, but of him that calleth. God chose me before the foundation of the world. Before I had done any good or evil, and I'll just, I won't get into the Lapsarian controversy, but I'll just say I believe he viewed me as a sinner. <laughs> and there's no reason to choose me if God didn't see me as a sinner. No reason to predestinate me if I was not viewed as a sinner. And they say, well, wait a minute. God chose you because God knew you would choose him. Well, if free willism, free willism is true, God can't know that. There's this new terrible heresy known as open theism. Open theism totally denies the foreknowledge of God. Open theism says that God does not know anything, but God is, quote, a good guesser. That's what they say. God's a good guesser. And he's observed a long time. And he can make good guesses. You study at Open Theater, I tell you, it's being taught in a lot of cemeteries, known as seminaries, but cemeteries. They ought to be dead in what they teach. But they don't understand foreknowledge. Whom, not what he foreknew, whom he foreknew, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of God's Son. God chose us unto salvation. He chose me by his wonderful grace. The next place, salvation by grace is not just because of the choice of God, but because of the cross of God. Oh, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Remember that? The burdens of your sins rolled away. You remember that? Oh, remember the day that, that all your life, maybe you'd heard about the cross and it meant nothing. There came a time when the Spirit of God made that cross real and the burdens of sin rolled away. Let us notice a few facts. We find that we have a lost, dead, depraved people. We find we have a God, the Father, that loves some and chose them unto salvation. Now we've got a problem. How are we going to get them to heaven? How are they going to get to heaven? Well, God 
came up with a plan. We talk sometimes about the council halls of eternity. They didn't really exist. Because God is eternal and our minds can't discern eternity in that fashion. But the fact is, the Godhead entered into an everlasting covenant to save us. The Father chose us. The Son said, I'll go buy them. I'll purchase them with my blood. And the Spirit said, I'll go call them. And it's always been that way in the mind of God. The person of the plan, notice that we talked about election, is in Christ. This substitute had to be virtuous. Perfect. Therefore, he must be born of a virgin. And then he must vicariously suffer for those God wants into heaven. And then he must victoriously rise from the grave to secure our eternal salvation. Now we know that the substitute is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. See him there in eternity past. There when there's just the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Enjoying one another and loving one another. See them in perfect harmony and holiness. See him as he steps out of time and speaks all of this into existence. All this world and speaks it into existence. See him in the many passages of the Old Testament. See him in the sacrifices of the Passover. See him born of a virgin in poverty. See him as a young lad of 12 years old teaching in the temple. See him as he heals the sick and raises the dead. See him as he calls out his disciples. See him as he teaches lessons that apply to then and to today. See him as he submits to baptism, leaving us an example that we are to follow. See him as he starts and commissions his church, but you haven't seen anything yet. The payment of this plan. God couldn't just forgive sin. I've read some writers say God could have just forgiven. No, God couldn't. God's too holy. Holiness of God demands punishment for sin. And every sin ever committed was either punished in the person of Christ or will be punished in hell. Christ is our Redeemer and He is our ransom. Those two words within themselves teach a limited atonement. They either teach a limited atonement or they teach that God is a failure and they teach that Christ's blood was shed in vain and neither of those things are true. Neither of those things are true. But it cost Christ. Our ransom first cost him his dignity. We're talking about God being ushered to six different trials, being smote, his beard plucked and spit upon, lost his cost him his dignity, treated worse than a common criminal. Our ransom cost him his decency. I believe that he was stripped and I believe he was crucified naked. It cost him his decency. Our ransom cost him his dependency because God the Father turned his back on him because our sins were upon him. Our ransom cost him our depravity because God took our sins and put them on his son and it cost him our depravity. Our ransom cost him death. God died that we might live. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, died. And our ransom, the redeeming price, meant to our redemption. And next time we sing that song, Redeemed, I love to proclaim it. Sing it like you mean it. Redeemed. See Jesus at the trials. And, and I have a, a, another long list of, of all these seeing Jesus. As they pluck his beard and spit in his face. They're going to see that face again. See him as they nail him to an old rugged tree. Place a crown of thorns upon his head. 50,000 people is estimated walked by that day and mocked and laughed at God who gave every one of them breath. They'll see him again too. See them as they strip off his garments and gamble for them. See him as the Lamb of God. He, I love that song, I thirst. He said, I thirst. He who made the rivers. Oh, he thirsts. He had every drop of water on this earth. God made it. And yet, God hung there, suspended between heaven and earth. And he said, I thirst. Man, in his cruel hatred of God, gave him sour wine or vinegar to drink. Don't talk to me about free will. Right here is free will in action. Right here is free will. This is what men do with God. And oh, if you're here and you're lost, this is what you would have, this is what I would have done. But you're going to stand before that holy God guilty. You see him as his breathing becomes more difficult. I don't believe Christ was crucified like this. I believe his hands were above his head. See him as he grows weaker. No longer able to sustain himself. Until eventually they strangle to death. They're choked to death so to speak. See him as his breath becomes difficult as life begins to drain from his body. Hear him as he cries out to the Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? But the worst is yet to come. The worst is yet to come. Because now, once Jesus yields up the ghost, God turns out the lights, and he sends his son to hell. Listen, I, I don't want to slight any of the physical sufferings of Christ. I never will. But what saved my soul was what God did to his son in hell. I want you to understand something. It's not the physical sufferings that redeem me. They're a part of it. What does the Bible say? Isaiah 53, 10, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. The Bible in Isaiah 53, 11, He shall see the travail of of his soul and praise God he's going to be satisfied all those for whom Christ died they'll be there one day when all of God's children are gathered up around the throne and maybe we're going to sing of the amazing grace of God somebody said where's Sam Wilson don't worry he's there he's there because God travailed for my soul we notice thirdly salvation by or fourthly by grace because of the call of God there is an effectual call. There's a general call. I recognize that. I'm just going to have to rush through this. I want you to know, it wasn't the preacher that saved my soul. It was God using the preacher. I'm not a hard shell. I know that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And I know that I am begotten by the gospel. And that should make us more diligent in giving the gospel to those who are lost without Christ. 
the Holy Spirit of God brought me under conviction showed me I was lost granted to me he made me hungry and thirsty I didn't care I, man, I, I love the world I loved athletics I still maybe love them too much I love sports but they don't mean as much to me as they used to God gave me a new love and that's love for God. He gave me the gift of repentance and the gift of faith. And he took away all my fears and he replaced them with peace that passeth understanding. Well, we find the charity of God, the choice of God, the cross of God, and the call of God. Where's man's part? Where's man's part? We're the recipient. All we are, we are the recipient. Now, let me move to my last point and just mention things and, and my time will be up in a couple minutes. Salvation by grace causes commitment to service I don't know how many of you heard of John Jasper John Jasper was an old black preacher years and years ago he wasn't even allowed to preach unless white people gave him permission there came a time when when the white passion town would close their church down or have early service so they could go hear John Jasper I don't think I'm mocking anyone but I loved reading this someone was talking to him about saved and John Jasper said saved and he said if you still is what you was, you ain't. Do you think about that? That's right. If you still is what you was, you ain't. Salvation brings about a change in people's life. It brings about a commitment to service. What is a commitment? A commitment is a promise to do or give. Defined by its synonyms. Devotedness, faithfulness, allegiance, loyalty, dedication, steadfastness, constancy. Well, since I'm saved by grace of God... Don't I owe that to God? Let me just mention my last four points. Involved in this commitment, there should be charity. Love the Lord thy God. Love him. He saved me my grace. I can't love him too much. Love him more than my hobbies and love him more than anything. My family, love him more than anything else in this world. Commitment to loving one another. And then there should be commitment to the church. I don't have any confidence in people who say they're saved and don't go to church. I just don't have confidence in them. And I believe a landmark sovereign grace. I make no apology for being a landmark sovereign grace missionary Baptist. I'll just move on. Thirdly, there must be commitment to conduct, how we behave ourselves, be righteous. And lastly, there must be a commitment to character. Character. Display the characteristics of a Christian. Be the the, the attitudes as they relate to us. May God bless you. Salvation is by grace. May we sing it and thank God for it.